Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Paul, a 67-year-old diabetic with hypertension, is in today for follow-up. He's otherwise healthy, although he is overweight with a BMI of 31. His blood pressure is well-controlled with lisinopril, and you have been treating his type 2 diabetes with metformin. He works hard in his diet such that his A1Cs are under controls, but he always runs about 8.0. He asked today about a television commercial where a diabetic patient talks about newer medication which not only treats his diabetes, but can also help his heart as well. He asks if he should use that rather than metformin. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Robert Baldor, professor and founding chair from the Department of Family Medicine at UMass Medical School Bay State in Springfield, Massachusetts. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Frank. Glad to be here again. Oh, always a pleasure. Um, yeah, so there are nonstop commercials advertising, encouraging people to talk to your healthcare provider about new medications. Um, what's the ADA say about about um, how we go ahead and evaluate and treat type 2 diabetes? Yeah, I think it's really uh, fascinating looking at this. And what I wanted to bring to the podcast today was this uh, recent uh, 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 systemic uh, review and meta-analysis uh, looking at a lot of the benefits from a lot of the newer agents that was published in the uh, Annals of Internal Medicine and the ADA recently uh, looked at this as they updated their guidelines and really is to inform management of type 2 diabetics based on patients comorbid condition and so what they based this on they analyzed 453 randomized control trials uh, looking at uh, 21 diabetic interventions from nine drug classes. And I got to tell you, I found this incredibly helpful, Frank. I was sort of dating myself here a little bit, but I remember when metformin was the newest drug, and oh, wow, <laughs> and now we have this explosion of medications. Anyways, they looked at a whole bunch of combinations uh, with these, like monotherapies, add-on to metformin-based therapies, and so on. And what they actually found was that for drug-naive patients with low cardiovascular risk, there are no differences between any of these treatments. This is kind of interesting. They did note that if you wanted to lower your A1C level, the insulin regimens, and if you use the GLP-1 agonists, that, those are the glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists, and you add them to metformin, those that you get the greatest reduction in A1C levels. Now, of course, how important is that is always a question. For those, though, with low cardiovascular risk who received metformin already as background, no clinically meaningful differences between treatments for, uh, based on mortality and vascular outcomes. So looking at the big picture stuff, no real difference there. But for those with increased cardiovascular risk who are already receiving metformin on the, in the background, they did show that adding various uh, GLP-1 uh, agonists or some of the SGLT inhibitors, those are the sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors, they were able to reduce all-cause mortality 
and some reduced uh, cardiovascular uh, deaths as, uh, as well. And uh, there were some reductions also in heart failure and end-stage kidney disease with some of these agents. And so uh, I, I, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about them as we go along in the, uh, in, in, in the podcast. Not a lot out there for significant risk, although they did flag two significant risks. The use of subcutaneous semglutide was uh, associated with increased risk of developing diabetic retinopathy and the use of uh, uh, sub-Q cantanaglutosin. I'm terrible pronouncing these names, Frank. You know that I've been murdering the English language for years. There was an increased risk of amputations. Um, So it's interesting because um, in patients with low cardiovascular risk, metformin was just as good as any of the newer treatments. So I think that for for many of our uh, younger less cardiovascular risk patients, that's, that's still the way to go. But from what you're saying, it sounds like these other agents are particularly beneficial for those with increased cardiovascular risk, adding them on to metformin. So um, the guideline says take a comorbidity approach. Um, what are they now recommending as first line? Yeah, well, I wanted to say a little bit here. It's still for first line for all diabetics, regardless of your underlying um, uh, comorbid condition, emphasis on lifestyle modification, Frank, weight management and exercise. That was up there, number one, which was great, along with metformin, along with metformin. So you're starting everybody on, uh, on, uh, on metformin and these uh, diets and uh, exercise uh, programs. However, you want to characterize uh, folks uh, into three basic uh, uh, buckets or four bu- buckets, I guess. One is, do, are they, do they have um, uh, atherosclerotic coronary vascular disease or are they high risk for that? High risk for that is being defined as being older than 55 with uh, known coronary artery uh, stenosis, artery, uh, uh, disease stenosis, greater than 50%, or known LVH. The other bucket was do they have heart failure, and that's with an LVH ejection fraction of less than 45%, or do they have chronic kidney disease, and they classify that as the group with the GFR uh, between 30 and 60, regardless of their A1C levels, by the way. So if you have these then, they're saying you should add something to the metformin, all right? And I'm not gonna go through all of this because it's pretty involved, but for example, those with uh, known uh, atherosclerotic vascular disease should be preferably prescribed a GLP-1 uh, agonist with, that has been shown to have proven uh, cardiovascular disease benefit. And basically, the, the FDA label indicates that they've shown a reduction in cardiovascular disease uh, events. There are actually several to choose from. Uh, Leglurotide, dulaglutide, semaglutide are the ones they have there. The alternative, of course, is to use an SGL-2 uh, inhibitor and that's assuming that uh, they, uh, the patient has an adequate uh, uh, GFR. Okay, um, let's talk about GFR because that's, that, that seems like um, one of the decision points. Um, how, do they, how does this uh, guideline suggest we deal with patients with possibly uh, lower GFR? Yeah, they actually call that group out, and I think it's a good question. Um, so if you have a patient, your main concern is a chronic kidney disease, so right, they don't have heart failure, or they really don't have significant uh, coronary vascular disease, but you're concerned about their kidneys, they specifically refer to those with stage two, uh, stage three, uh, moderate uh, uh, disease. That's the uh, GFR be- between 30 and 60. And for that group, the recommendation is for an LGT2 inhibitor that has proven reduction in 
uh, in slowing the progression of kidney disease. So what are those agents? It's the 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 the, the, the flozins, dapagliflozin, canagliflozin, and empagliflozin. All right. So those are the uh, the particular agents that uh, they're saying add on to metformin, by the way, for those with chronic kidney disease. Now, um, if uh, if an SGLI is uh, uh, is not tolerated, these are the SGLI. Uh, these are the SGLT2 inhibitors. That's what these, this group is. If they're not tolerated, or if it's less than adequate, instead you would choose a, um, a GLP1 agonist, like those you'd prescribe that have benefit in coronary artery disease. As, as, as part of it. So it's, uh, they, they have this all broken out in a wonderful algorithm for you to trace through. It's a little hard for me to talk about it without actually pointing and seeing things uh, on, on screen uh, with that. Well, um, I, I like, uh, you've done a great job in trying to narrow it down so that, that we have a fairly straightforward approach. Um, our buddy Paul here, he's uh, trying to take care of himself. He's on his metformin, his A1C's eight, um, what do we do for him? No, that's great. And I actually said you want to separate your patients into uh, into four buckets, right? So you've got those three comorbid buckets you're worried about, coronary artery disease, heart failure, uh, kidney disease. The other bucket is diabetics that don't have those things. But they're actually suggesting we separate those folks into uh, three more buckets. So those buckets are, do you want to minimize the risk of hypoglycemia? Um, or is weight gain... And weight gain an issue or is cost an issue? They actually talk about cost. And within each of these buckets, they actually give you choices to take where you're going to get the biggest bang for the buck that based on what your patient concern is. Now, Paul, let's talk about Paul. He's overweight, BMI of 31. So I choose an agent from those that have benefits in minimizing or prom- promoting weight loss. And the recommendation is for either a GLP-1 agonist with good efficacy for weight loss and they actually rank these uh, in, in, in their guideline. So these are the, uh, these are the, uh, these are the tides. You've got semaglutide is best, followed by a liraglutide, followed by a dulaglutide, followed by exnatide, followed by lexinatide. Okay, so those are the, the so they actually rank those. Again, I'd call your attention to the, to the algorithm. Or an SGL2, to, uh, SGLT2 inhibitor. And those that weren't ranked, those are all about the same in, in, uh, in what they're uh, doing. And those are the flows in this uh, category of, uh, 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 that are there. So, Frank, I, this is really a very helpful guideline. And this guideline can be downloaded and printed out for easy reference. And, uh, and, 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 and I encourage people to do that. And as you're thinking about your diabetics to categorize them, into these different, again, gets us this concept. Let's personalize our approach to what we're doing for folks. But remember, the initial treatment for most and ongoing treatment remains lifestyle changes. Walking every day helps and prescribing metformin as your first line, uh, first line agent. Bob, I, uh, I, I, I agree. This, this guideline this, and this, this information um, has been discussed for a while and its time has come. So uh, thank you. We'll do our best to try to put a link up on the landing page to that algorithm. Um, but uh, th- this is terrific. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure. And, I, I, and I, as I say, uh, you know, I remember getting excited when Metformin came on board and I've been really confused about all these agents and this explosion about agents and patients definitely coming in and asking about them. So I found this incredibly helpful to go through this. Practice pointer. 
First-line therapy for treating patients with type 2 diabetes remains lifestyle change, including weight loss and physical activity, and the drug metformin. Choosing what additional therapies is needed should be based upon your patient's comorbid conditions. Check out the website for more information. Join us next time when we talk about atrial fibrillation and whether we should pursue rhythm control or rate control in the management of our patients. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.